Are you ready? Are you shitty down? We're going to pull back the curtain on the divorce process, the mistakes and the missteps. How can couples navigate the divorce process? Can you still divorce in a healthy way? The conversation is as good as it gets. It's fun, insightful. It will change the way you think about your life and how to tackle life's challenges. The Shine On Podcast, Season 3. It's Episode 67 of The Shine On Podcast. I'm Evan Shine. On today's podcast, I am joined by divorce coach and divorce manager, Alex Kapp, founder of Golden Rule Management. This interview with Alex is one you do not want to miss. We talk about Alex's career in television, and now in the world of divorce, we talk about her love for improv and her incredible roles in Seinfeld, and later, co-star with Julia Louis-Dreyfus in The New Adventures of Old Christine. And producer Dave, we're back on the Shine On podcast after taking a short break, and I know I share this with you, and I'll share it with the Shine On podcast audience. There's a lot going on in the Shine On podcast household these days <laughs> right i've heard yeah no my wife jessica and i we welcome the new addition to our family noah shine joins his big sister olivia all right what a time dave all great stuff just tremendous news evan i i'm so happy for you i'm i'm not jealous of your lack of sleep at this point or anything else because i remember <laughs> what it's like when you welcome your second child and it's it's tiring and it's it's a toll on you, but ultimately it's joyful. And so the little one's doing well. Noah's doing well. Yeah, Noah's doing well. And Dave, I know you offered this before, so I'm going to take you up on your offer. Between the hours of midnight and 7 a.m., if you want to come over, you know what, and watch Noah so I can get some sleep, you know what, I'm going to take you up on that incredibly generous offer. I haven't forgotten how to change a diaper. I change a mean diaper, so show me the poop. And I don't want to forget about the other big celebration in October, Producer Dave's birthday. That's in right. Early October. Yes. What an incredible day. Thank you. And Dave, I want to tell you that I heard from sources. A little birdie told me that when you blew out the candles this year and made your wish, you wish for even more episodes, even better episodes. Of the Shine On podcast, is that true? Absolutely. You only get one wish. So, and th this wish is for all of Shine On Nation, and it looks like my wish came true because this exactly. is a fantastic episode. And I, you mentioned it already, man. But I, listeners, you, you truly are in for a treat. How often do you get to talk to someone who's expert in the world and divorce, but also had a memorable role on the te television show Seinfeld? I mean, amazing. Amazing life. No, we do we, we do it all here on the Shine On Podcast. And speaking of all the things we do, Dave, we have a jam-packed docket on today's episode. So, Dave, let's fire it up. And now, let's see what's on the docket. All right, it is great to be back in Docketville. We have three prepared Three news items or things from the media or whatnot. And item one comes to us from the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> item one. So this is an advice column in the Tribune. Ask Amy. The headline reads, I feel lost amid my divorce. Dear Amy, I'm going through a divorce and I'm having a hard time finding myself. 
I was with my husband for 14 years. I feel lost. I don't know what to do. I've lost a lot of friends. And the it goes on and on to tell this tale of woe. Your thoughts on this one? Well, Dave, for the... Reader who sent in the note is not alone. Look, divorce is a loss. It's a loss of a spouse, a loss of a social circle, a financial loss. It's a process filled with an enormous amount of emotion. But here's the thing to remember. During the divorce process, you're going to find out who's there for you. You're going to find out who's the true support system, your true friends, those people who care about your happiness and making sure you get through the process. Lifelong friends, no matter what. And of course, it's devastating that a close friend wasn't there for you during this time in your life. But you know what? Her true color showed. You're going to pick yourself up. You're going to move forward, charge ahead, and move on to better things. And Dave, let me ask you, as, as you went through a divorce, and were there people you expected to be there for you? People you expected to show support mm. and you were in some ways let down well maybe i'm lucky there, there are plenty of people that fell out of my life because they were simply closer to my wife than than they were to me sure but i kind of expected that so the the that i know what happens and i know sometimes that's this is the way things go it's almost it's akin to something like oh i don't know if you like have a, a charity drive for something. And you, you often find that your people that you think will contribute a lot don't. But then the, the plus side is people will surprise you. And I remember a couple of people who thought they would want nothing to do to me with me actually reach out and say, hey, I went to a divorce, divorce three years ago, Dave, any time you want to talk about it. So you get both. And at the end of the day, if someone's not supporting you, they have their reasons in this time of such emotional strife why give yourself any more by torturing yourself over a lost friendship when maybe it wasn't really a friendship in the first place no great point Dave let me ask ask you something because I think it's interesting you brought up are there people who perhaps because they were closer to your wife you fell out of touch with at the time but now have sort of gotten back into their life at the time people might feel they need to choose who they're going to be closer with Yep. in a divorce but are there people who you're now back mm. involved with after a period of time that went yeah the, the, there are, and, and i think you file out under the notion that some people think it's best to lay low when a divorce is happening because they don't want to be perceived as taking sides or whatever yep. and yep. then at, with the passage of time you realize maybe they can still be in your life I, i'll give one example my wife has this cousin gary who's he's a new yorker like you evan he lives in the city very sweet guy always got along with him very well wonderful sense of humor didn't expect to hear from him at all because after all that's family to my wife but we connected on social media a couple years down the road had a few laughs and i'm delighted he's back in my life and he never had anything against me he was sad of course that our marriage broke up but so you can do that there's still hope for sure we move on. Item two comes to us from the mirror. Item two. Headline reads, bride wants divorce after just one day, thanks to husband's so-called violating wedding stunt. The woman was left fuming after her new husband broke her one cardinal rule during their wedding day, which was 
he she apparently specifically instructed him not to do the thing where you smear frosting from the wedding cake on her. This guy went extreme and like shoved his new bride's face into the cake. I shouldn't laugh because apparently that was enough for her to within to within the next day or so call off the marriage. Your, your thoughts on this, Dave? I thought I've seen it all. I thought I've heard it all. <laughs> Dave, you can't make this stuff up. Right? Look, first let me say this. I hope the wedding was an expense. The bride calls it quits the very next day, not even 24 hours later. Mm. And her you mentioned it because her one rule, her one rule was that the groom, now her husband, not rub cake in her face at the party. And guess what he did? Mm. You know what? Good for him for having fun. <laughs> you want to break up because of an affair? I get it. Yeah. You want to break up because, look, you fell out of love, different interests. You want different things in life? Okay, fine. You want to end your marriage because of a lack of trust, a lack of communication, a lack of intimacy? Fine. I get that too. But 24 24 hours after you were married and you want to end your marriage because your husband rubbed some frosting in your face? You got to be kidding me. And I'm not alone. I mean, the bride's own family, according to the article, is trying to convince her to stay. But I'll tell you what, if I'm this guy, I get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. Forget what she wants. I mean, say, yeah, if, if I'm the guy, I think long at heart. If you can't rub a little vanilla frosting <laughs> on your wife's nose during the happiest time in your life, you know what? Not a marriage for me. People have traumatic events that scar them emotionally. This is just an odd one. For her to have, I wonder if she's going to be afraid of frosting. She's frosting phobic for the rest of her life. Yeah, I agree. Very strange. Very strange. But yeah, I'm with you. That dude can safely stay away because something's wrong there. (laughs) Something's wrong. We move on to item three. Item three. Item three comes to us from insider.com. Headline reads, I helped my twin sister plan her wedding while going through my divorce. Woman writes about how she didn't want to even tell her sister about the divorce, but now the ex-husband didn't want to keep the secret. And it was hard to enjoy her wedding, she says, and be the maid of honor she wanted to be. So it's kind of like insult to injury in this case. What, what do you think, Evan? Dave, what I think is if there was a Sister of the Year award, she would get it. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I hope your sister, the bride, is listening. She should go out and buy you. A sister of the year trophy. You are a tremendous sister for planning her wedding while getting divorced. It has to be, I mean, put in the work. I mean, just difficult, challenging, emotional, sad to plan your sister's wedding at a time when your world has fallen apart. I mean, a wedding's a happy time and you're the maid of honor and you have to put on a smile and a happy face while going through something so hard. Dave, I I can't even imagine how hard it was for her at the exact time planning this happy time while she's also going through a devastating time of her own. Yeah, give her some credit. I I like to think with the passage of time, maybe she'll think that this wedding was the best time in her divorce, if that makes sense. In other words, a silver lining. Or if she's the cynical type, she might think as she's planning this thing, yeah, they're going to end up 
apart just like I am. <laughs> but who knows? But hopefully maybe, not. Hopefully you not. know what? If you look at it another way, maybe there was an opportunity at her sister's wedding to meet someone, meet someone there. That rom-com writes itself, Evan. We got to put pen to paper. <laughs> We're up to the part of the program where we hear from you, the listener, in another edition of Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan, the the writer, comes to us from Albany, New York. Natalie from Albany writes as follows. Dear Evan, I've been divorced for a few weeks and my ex-spouse is not complying with the visitation schedule outlined in our divorce agreement. What legal remedies are available to ensure they adhere to the court-ordered visitation rights I have as a parent? Natalie, great question. And I'm sorry that you're going through this. The first thing I recommend, check your agreement to see if there's specific language in the agreement that addresses what happens if someone doesn't comply with the custody schedule. Many agreements have a clear process in place, such as to see a mediator or a parent coordinator if an issue arises. If your agreement contains none of that language, one suggestion is to reach out to your ex and to propose a plan to work with a third party or to propose a modification of the agreement on your own. Unfortunately, if he doesn't respond or he responds with a hard no thank you, then you're left with no other option but to go to court to modify your custody schedule based on the lack of compliance. The unfortunate thing here is you just signed the agreement. The ink is barely dry and your spouse is already not complying with the agreement so soon after the divorce was finalized. As you think ahead to whether your spouse is going to ultimately wake up one day and comply, the chances are not good. That's another edition of Ask Evan. If you want to submit a question for Evan to answer on the podcast, email producer Dave at david at pod617.com. Our featured guest on this week's episode of the Shine On Podcast is divorce manager and coach Alex Kapp. Alex, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on this week's episode. Well, thank you very, very much. <laughs> Alex, what is a divorce manager and why specifically those words? Well, the divorce manager in, in a shortened version is someone who helps a person, one half of a couple, go through the logistical, emotional, financial process of divorce so that they don't lose their mind. <laughs> More specifically, and the reason I use the word manager is I'm actually, I'm, I'm a CDC certified divorce coach, but I've always felt the word coach undermined the profession. It sounds a little frou-frou-y. And in fact, I liken myself more to like, a, almost like a property manager or a construction manager, where I am somebody who hires out subs and not even hires, but I'm part of a team that helps somebody get something built, in this case, a divorce agreement. Alex, you're speaking my language. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows I am all about teams. As a divorce attorney, I always look for the right professionals, the right people to surround my client with. Because look, clients going through the divorce process are going through arguably one of the most difficult times in their life, a time that's filled with transition. So I love when I hear you use the word team. Yeah, there's no, I mean, I couldn't do it by myself. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a financial expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm somebody who will farm out and say, if I can't answer that for you, you need to get in touch with a financial person or a CDFA, which is a certified divorce financial analyst. 
Or if that's a legal question, I can't answer that for you. So let's write up a list of questions for your lawyer and, and see if they can answer that for you. So yeah, it's, it's all a team effort. There's no way you could, that's the worst, the worst part about divorce is going through it alone or feeling alone when you're going through it. And so I exist and this, and this profession now exists, I think, to help people uh, with that. What is your ideal client? And at what point is it best for someone to reach out to you? That's a great question. My ideal client is pretty much me. So somebody who's been through more likely a long-term marriage, kids, because I feel like without kids, divorce is horrible no matter what. But if divorce without kids is just more transactional, divorce with kids is where the emotions kind of come into play. So somebody who's been in a long marriage with children, doesn't matter whether it's mutual or one person initiated the divorce. And in terms of when somebody comes to me, it's interesting. It doesn't really matter. So sometimes people come to me when they're just thinking about it and they're, they haven't even gotten up the courage to, to say it out loud. Sometimes people come to me because they've been going through it for a year and a half and they're so tired of it that they just want to see what they can do to move it forward. So ideally, I'd like to get somebody at the beginning because I can help them set some habits with communication and regulation of their emotions and asking the right questions and, and taking control of, of their life. But I can work with people at any stage because that's kind of gal I am. Does your approach change depending on when someone reaches out? If someone's thinking about divorce, contemplating divorce, or using your example, somebody has been going through the process for a year and a half and they feel stuck. So does your, the way you work with clients, does it change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't have a guidebook. And in fact, one of the hallmarks of coaching is to allow the client to lead the conversation, not to the point where they get stuck in their own story. That is partly one of the, one of the things that I like to get out of the way really quickly is, listen, everybody has a story and, and everybody from the beginning of, of the divorce, I've, I cannot tell you the amount of people who come to me saying they're divorcing a narcissist. Everybody thinks they're divorcing a narcissist. They are not. They just don't like each other anymore. <laughs> So, it's like one of the buzziest words in 2020. It's so buzzy and yeah. it's so overused. So yeah. I would like to say, like, although you may think that other person is a narcissist, chances are they're just, they think you're one too. So let's just dispense <laughs> with that and move on. A person can come to me because they've been betrayed and left and their husband had an affair and they are devastated and all they want to do is get revenge. And chances are, by the way, if that person wants revenge and is hell bent on it, I won't work with that person. Yep. But But they will need some communication skills more than, say, somebody else who's getting divorced mutually and they both had... They decided to consciously uncouple and they're sort of emotionally intact, but they just are dragging their feet, getting paperwork done. Or So my approach does change. And what I was trying to say before, which I'll come back to, is that the client leads the conversation. So I will never come in and give somebody advice. I'm not, I'm not you. I don't know what your situation is until I, I'm not you. I might've made choices in my own divorce that are completely, that wouldn't work for you. So it's up to me to help that person figure out what their core values are and encourage them to live within those values, but also take the high road. Watch what you say or write. Be careful. Be mindful about every decision you make during divorce because you're not going to feel tomorrow the way you felt today. And you're not certainly not going to feel in 10 years the way you felt this year. So it's about sort of broadening out and helping people recognize like these small moments, they're not forever. Like let's make decisions that you can stand by 10 years from now. Alex, you mentioned emotions. And people must come to you in such an emotional state, no matter the time that they reach out to you. And often when people come to you, they carry so many misconceptions about divorce, about the process, what it looks like. Everyone 
likes playing Monday morning quarterback in terms of their divorce and how things yeah. went and how things should go and what your therapist should be doing or divorce attorney should be doing. So when people carry misconceptions about divorce into the meetings with you, how do you handle that? And what are some of those misconceptions you find your clients have about the divorce process? I think it starts with letting people know that this is their life and their divorce and their process and they, they're in charge. You're, nobody else is in charge but you. Your ex isn't in charge. Your lawyer isn't in charge. You are in charge of how you want this to go. And the misconceptions, gosh, I mean, there's a million of them. Like, think about it. There's, I have to hire a high-powered attorney to protect myself. I have to get somebody who's a shark. I have to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to give everything away. I'm not going to get anything. I'm, my kids are going to be taken away from me. I want my kids hundred percent of the time and I can get that. And I just heard recently somebody talking about a Ferrari settlement on a Kia budget. And, and that's another thing. <laughs> Sometimes I think people come into divorce thinking like, even though they, they were just sort of had a regular joint income and maybe one person works and one doesn't, but let's just say they're making a hundred grand a year total. They, they get divorced and suddenly they think there's a million dollars to be dispensed with. And it doesn't, ex it's not, it doesn't there. exist. The, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that people think is there isn't there. And, and it's to not. The point, if you didn't live that way during the marriage, it always boggles my mind when someone thinks they're going to live better. I mean, much, much better than they ever lived during the marriage. And look, there are examples, there are instances of cash income, hidden assets. But for the most sure. part, I mean, even as an attorney, the number one thing or one of the most important things I do, manage expectations. Me too. The, the, exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah. That is one of the main, that, like one of the first things that has to happen because people, I think people think, they think all sorts of pie in the sky things and either good or bad. And it's, it really is about managing expectations. And also when people come to me saying, I'm going to lose every penny I've ever had. No, you're not. Yeah. It, but but you also have to be smart about this and don't be an don't be a jerk and go straight for the throat. Figure out let let's try to get to mediation. Let's try to settle this on our own. I think I think people assume they have to spend billions of dollars getting divorced and it is it costs money. Listen, it it's expensive to get divorced, but it doesn't have to be as expensive as it sometimes is. So No, you're absolutely right. And Alex, you mentioned that if someone sole purpose is seeking revenge, that may not be a client for you. Are there any other reasons that you would turn down someone who reaches out? Yeah, I think I think a client has to be coachable. I think somebody has to be willing to to take the steps that that you're working on. I mean, the, the difference between coaching and therapy, I by the way, I think therapy is the most amazing thing ever. And I encourage everybody to have therapy if they can. But coaching is about taking steps forward. It's not about like, hey, why did I ever marry this jerk? I mean, I wish yeah. I had what's wrong. It's because of how I was raised. That's it, it. Some of that stuff might come up a little bit, but my job is to help keep people moving forward. And so it's not about why did you get married and why are you? The, in fact, the question why is sort of forbidden in coaching. It's it doesn't get us anywhere. So let's just figure out what do we do now? Like what next? What do you want? Where do you want to go with this? Do you want to be divorced? And so you asked me if there's other other hallmarks. Yeah, if somebody's not coachable, if they're not willing to do the work, if they if they're stuck in their story, so. That to me, I, I'll give the example of my own divorce. And I went to the, to my, the, this attorney, I was meeting him for the first time. And I think I sat in front of him for two hours bawling, crying. And no, you have no idea yeah. and this. And this is what happened. And I, he's a jerk and blah, blah, blah. And I just remember his eyes glazing over. And I was just like, why doesn't he, why doesn't he listen to me? Like he doesn't have any sympathy for me at all. He had, by the way, he had, I hired him. I love him, but yep. he, he became my lawyer. 
But meanwhile, two hours later, I'm looking at my watch going, oh, my God, I just I just spent so much money just crying to my yeah. He's heard this a million times oh. before. So I, as a divorce manager slash coach, I'll listen to your story to a point, but that's not getting us anywhere. So I know your husband's a jerk in your mind. So let's move on anyway. So I guess that's sort of if somebody can't get out of their story and they're really determined to stay in it, then I probably would say, I'm not, I'm not the one to help you. Alex, to your point, as an attorney, I'm more efficient. I'm more organized. My clients are more organized. When I have other professionals working with my client, as much as I wear the therapist hat and sometimes the coaching hat, that's not why people hire me. That's not the legal strategy. The reason someone comes into my office and sits across from me, not to play therapist. And yes, it's often part of the job. You need to be in touch with what your clients are going through and all of that stuff. But but I find often the most successful divorces and outcomes for my clients are when there's a whole team involved. And yes, it's expensive. Yes, it requires resources, but the time, the money, the the happiness factor in terms of getting through the divorce is so much better for people who can buy in to this whole team concept where people work together, they stay in their lane. But I'm sure even with you, the clients that you work with, if there's a therapist involved, that might make your job even easier. Yeah. I mean, listen, and it works both ways, right? Yeah. I've heard lawyers say about divorce coaching or whatever, this is just, it's just voodoo. It's voodoo wizardry. It doesn't have any value. But I will tell you what the value is to a lawyer. So one of the arguments that I make, which is true, is that I can organize a client's thoughts and questions in, in a managed way. So instead of crying in front of you for two hours, hey, what are the questions you want to ask? Let's figure that out. So we write a quick email. We send that off. That costs them maybe 50 bucks instead of 700 bucks an hour. Sure, you could as a lawyer say, oh, no, that means I, that money's coming away from me. But no. My theory is that allows you as an attorney to have more clients because you're using your time more efficiently. So exponentially, your business grows because I am helping streamline things with that one client. So if we all had these teams together, I think we'd all benefit. And I I think we're in agreement. Listen, divorce is a tough business and it's a tough business to go through when you're emotionally rot and you feel terrible. We always talk about reptilian brain or lizard brain, which is when your amygdala takes over when you're in trauma and you're freaking out, you cannot make reasonable and sound decisions. And so part of that's another thing that I'm there for is to say, listen, this is this is crazy amygdala brain talking. Let's just calm ourselves down and let's figure out what we really need and want and move forward. Yeah, and look, it's a brilliant point. And unfortunately, there are attorneys, there are judges, there are people who just are not going to buy into the divorce coaching process. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, the attorneys that do buy in, and I also think it's part of the job of the attorney to educate the judge why certain expenses are being incurred and the benefit to it. But it all starts with the attorney buying in and really encouraging their clients to have this team, to have really the right team and the right professionals. Because when when other people are involved, and again, I don't want to minimize the cost of it, but the benefit is so incredible to the clients. And I've seen it on the other side, a year or two, three, four years down the road where everyone but me ends up still being involved in the client's life, which I love to hear because look, if your divorce attorney is still involved in your life for 10 years, something went horrifically wrong. 
But I love the relationships being established between my clients and all the other professionals. It is great. I think I think divorce doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world. I mean, listen, I'll, I I just got off the phone with my I'm going to just a personal story. Just got off the phone with my dad, who until two years ago, and I'm in my fifties, was my stepdad. He met my mom in when I was eight years old and became this incredibly stable force in my life after my parents' divorce. He's still in my life. And in my 50s, he adopted my sister and me. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> and now we call him daddy. And it's, it's the most, and I just told him I was actually really emotional. And I said, this is incredible. Everybody complains about how terrible divorce is. And listen, it's no joke. It's brutal when it's brutal, right? I didn't want to get divorced. It, it happens. But, but there can be great things that come out of divorce too. Like you said, relationships and finding your self-esteem and learning how to argue for yourself and negotiate and find a new chapter and learn about who you are. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy great things coming out of divorce, including me being a divorce coach slash manager, which I'm going to have to say one or the other. I, I love that this is my life. I love it. I love what I do. I believe that there is such value in like what you said. It's not all about dollars. It's about what I say this all the time. How do you want to look back on how you handled your divorce? And if you have kids, how do you want them to, to think you did at the end of it. Do you want to be contentious and mean and badmouth your ex and put your kids in the middle? And well, you can, you can do that. Again, I won't work with you either. But, you know, I, I take great pride in how I handled my divorce with my kids and I and with myself. So I made mistakes, but someone like me as a divorce manager, I'm there to help people try to avoid those mistakes when they can. And you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Let's just kind of get back on on the bike and try to keep a straight line as much as we can. Alex, speaking of the family and, and really keeping them in the family, what was it like to grow up in a show business family and a show business house? And how did that shape your opinion of what a family should be? It's interesting. It wasn't, I wouldn't really call it show business. My dad was, a. I mean, my, my dad, my real original dad was a classical conductor of a chamber orchestra in New York. It was really cool to grow up that way. I, you know, went to concerts every weekend and we'd I knew all these nerdy musicians and I played violin and <laughs> my mom was an opera singer and then she did commercials. And so then I go into the city with her and then I started doing commercials and then it just kind of grew from there. But it was fun. I did not grow up in a conventional household so much. And I love growing up in New York. I thought it was, I just think it's incredible. My younger daughter lives there. She's a senior at NYU. She's literally, I would, if I cursed, used a curse word, she's a pig and you know what? She is the happiest kid I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> So we're a big New York family. It'll never go away. My parents still live there. It's just, it was great. I love New York. <laughs> you trying. What's there not to love? And, and, and you grew up in, in sort of, and you've worked in really the competitive television world and now the world of divorce, two very challenging areas, two challenging fields, which is easier and why? Oh my gosh. Divorce. <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> so much easier. It's not even a comparison. Listen. I'm still, I'm still an actor. I like to say it with quotation marks. I mean, currently, which is kind of funny. I am the voice of the, I'm a sound alike for Majel Barrett, the original Star Trek computer voice. So I'm the voice of the Star Trek computer on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which just amuses the living bejesus out of me. I absolutely love it. But you know, I still, I, I, I'm, I hope I'll still do some on camera stuff, but I do some voiceover and I, I plan to continue. I, I'm a, classic member of a, what is it? The gig economy? Yeah. A lot of dreams of income. But you know, listen, I did Seinfeld. It was the greatest week of my life. I will 
that Seinfeld episode will live on for with me for the rest of my life. It's still the most the the thing that people know me from most. And it's so funny because someone will meet me and go like, wait a minute, why do you look so familiar? And then I'll say a line <laughs> Joe and go, oh my God, I can't believe that's you. Well, Seinfeld is one oh. of my all-time favorite shows. And look, you had the memorable role as George's girlfriend in the final season. And, and although that's just one thing of an incredible resume, how often do you actually end up talking about it? And what can you share about your experience on the show that most people don't know? I, I share it all the time, gleefully. Because I ended up also working with Julia Louis-Dreyfus on another show sure. for five years, so that we'll get to. But yeah, that that was a phenomenal experience, and I have told this story before, but I was young. I was in my 20s, and I'd gone out quite late the night before, which was typical because you're in your 20s and you just a fool it, fool. So anyway, I, I had a Saturday morning audition that had never happened before. And so I sort of, it came up, I think, a little last minute, so it was a little too late for me to turn around what had happened the night before. Anyway, I didn't feel a hundred percent and showed up in this room full of actors, actresses, a lot of pretty famous people whose names I won't drop. So I just sort of thought there's no way I'm not getting this job anyway. So they called me in. It was Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David in the room and Jerry was reading George's part. So immediately I was like, hey, uh, like, I don't, <laughs> but they, I almost, am, I almost give myself credit for being a little hungover. Cause I think if I hadn't been, I might've been much more nervous, but anyway. We read the scene and the first thing I really had to say is George says to me, I'm, I'm breaking up with you. And I just say no. And he's like, all right. So anyway, Jerry said it. I said no. And I saw him laugh, like hold his face. And then he turned around to look at Larry David and they looked at each other. And I thought, did I just get this job? There was something about that. <laughs> I knew I'd made Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David laugh, even with one word. So that was it. I left the room. I did my thing. And there were all these actresses, there were two parts they were reading for. And they called the name of this other actress, whose name I will say, because she was on the episode. And and everybody was done. And they they called this other actress's name. And so I was like, oh, my God, I didn't get it. So I pick up my bag. I start to walk out. And the casting director, Mark Hirschfeld, called out to me. And he's like, Alex, where are you going? And I was like, what do you mean, where am I going? You just called Ileana. I got to go. He doesn't know. You got the part. <laughs> Ileana, you're going to do the other part. And I went, oh my God. And we went straight to work, went to the table read that like five minutes later, shot the episode. It was a, it was one of the great moments of my life. Truly. It was a, it was an amazing experience. Top to bottom. Loved everything. Loved everybody. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Oh, it's absolutely awesome to hear. Like I said, great show. Your part, your role was fantastic. And you mentioned the other show that you were in with Seinfeld star, Julia Lewis-Dreyfus, The New Adventures of Old Christine where she played a struggling divorced woman and you played a so-called meanie mom, I guess, her nemesis. Do you find irony in that notion that you probably wouldn't get along with your character, but Christine actually might be pretty good client for you? Yeah. Well, there's more irony than you, but yes, I won't go into that. I might get in trouble. In any case, no, there was trouble's a good. Go, go into well, whatever well, you want to go into. See. I'll I'll say this, that the show, The New Adventures of Old Christine, was based on, it used to be, it was originally called Old Christine. And the premise of the show is that Julie Louis-Dreyfus' character, who's this, can't quite do anything right, has a kid, she's divorced, she's friends with her ex-husband, and doesn't realize that he started dating somebody new. So I played one of these two meanie moms with my very best friend in the world, Trisha O'Kelly, who's still, my, I just lived with her for three years. We've been best friends for 20 years. 
And so we are these horrible private school, wealthy, terrible, terrible, snotty, horrible women, mothers at school who constantly judge Julia's character, Christine. And in the pilot, we let Christine know that we've met her ex-husband's new girlfriend, who's also named Christine. And thereby her name is new Christine, which makes Julia's character old Christine. So that's the premise. That's how the pilot went. Anyway, I will only say this, that my my former spouse is with someone named Alex. So there was some irony there. <laughs> I, apparently I'm old Alex. In any case, um, it was that was another wonderful opportunity and experience. I just TV is the greatest thing, especially sitcom TV, which doesn't really exist anymore. It's the greatest job on earth, aside from being a divorce coach slash manager. It's really it is something else. So, yeah. So going from TV back to the divorce coaching divorce manager world, how would your clients describe it? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think probably empathetic, smart, experienced, funny still. I laugh a lot with my clients because, boy, sometimes you've got to, and it's dark. So let's laugh about it a little bit. Honest to a fault, like just completely when I don't know something, I will never pretend I do. And that's like when I talk about, oh, I have a legal question. Okay, well, I can't answer any because I'm not a lawyer. So here, talk to your lawyer. It's like, I will never, just excuse my language, but I'll never bullshit anybody. There's no room for that in, in this world and in, especially in this business. I just think people need to hear it straight. So if I don't know the answer, I'll let you know I don't know the answer. What else? I think that's probably it. What else? Confident. Stunningly good looking. I think that's probably it. <laughs> In terms of, as you think back to your life and childhood and all the different moments in your life, who are the role models that led you to your current career? I mean, number one on my list is is my now official dad, my step former stepfather, my dad, Gary Chen, by far. I mean, I just, this is a guy who walked into a family, started a relationship with a woman with two kids and put us first. And it and he didn't have kids of his own. And I I think he's an incredible man and really saved my life in a lot of ways. So was always there when my when my real dad sort of didn't show up, my stepdad was there. So he is I uh, gosh, my mom in some ways, I think. I just I I'm trying to think of other people that led me to this business. My best friend Trisha Kelly, the one I was on old Christine with, was sure. such a credible Forced in my divorce, she and I got divorced at the same time, and she was she was my divorce coach. Just I just didn't pay her. Like, that was unfortunate <laughs> for her. She spent a lot of time on me, but you know she's been an incredible supporter. And my my two daughters are are so great. My current partner, I've just I have everybody I I everybody in my life I look up to. So I feel right. really lucky. Yeah. And you mentioned the Groundling Improv School, and it's often said that learning improv is such a wonderful thing to help develop social skills, business skills. Is there anything to that? Oh, I think so. I mean, I I, I was a main stage Groundling member. I mean, I'm, I don't know if people know who the Groundlings are, but Will Ferrell, yeah. Maya, oh, lots of lots and lots of fancy, famous people who are way more successful than I am in that business. But I I loved every minute of it. I taught a few classes there when I was pregnant. I I think it's invaluable. I think thinking on your feet and being able to, say yes and in any situation. I mean, the basic rule of improv is yes and, otherwise you kill the story, right? Yep. So it's true for everything. It's true for divorce. It's true in acting. It's true in relationships. Like the minute you say no, you're closing a door. So even think about negotiation between a couple and somebody says like, well, this is what I've decided. Well, no, 
okay, well, now we're at an impasse. If you say yes, and I would also like to say, it may, you may not agree with them, but it keeps the conversation going, keeps you, keeps you on your toes. I think it keeps your brain from getting old. I think improv is amazing. My daughter actually just finished her doing the basic class in the Growlings. It's bizarre. Good for her. Yeah, I'm like full circle. It's very strange to watch your own children do follow in a path and do it their own way. It's really cool. Now, all those wonderful techniques that you learned, now she's learning, and I'm sure she'll use those when negotiating yep. with you. That's right. <laughs> she's already doing it. Yep. Exactly. Alex, to, to change topics for a moment, you've been bravely public about your decades-old relationship with Robert Chambers, who was convicted for the 1986 murder of Jennifer Levin. It must have been a trying and really harrowing time in your life. But as you look back on that, has it enhanced your ability to give advice in your current role? And how, how has that really impacted you right now? Yeah. I mean, listen, that first of all, I mean, to clarify, just because it's an important point, he was not convicted of murder. He was convicted of manslaughter. Okay. And the only reason I say that is sure. because he eventually went back to prison and he just got out. But okay. yeah. So, but, and that comes into the story, which is that he should have been convicted of murder because he murdered somebody. And yeah, it was, it was, I was 16. I was sort of, it was my first real kind of love or my first real relationship. And it was short, but felt like an eternity, five months or so. And and yeah, I really got duped by this guy. I really thought, I thought he was the one at 16. I was a 16 year old. It's hard to put yourself back in that place, but, but the, it does play into my life. Of course, it's played a huge part in my life in many ways. And it, it was a very difficult and trying experience for everybody involved, certainly for the family of Jennifer Levin who was murdered, but it, it shook my confidence in, in my care, like being able to judge people. Having said that, the positive thing that came out of it is that I, my instincts were screaming at me the entire time I was with this guy that something wasn't right. And I, I tamped him down for a while because I really liked him. And frankly, that's my, in my 16 year old head, he was really good looking. Everybody liked him. Everybody wanted to date him and he wanted to date me. And I was like, wow, I, I felt like I'd arrived in this kind of amazing world of, I felt super fancy about it. And I, I really loved him. I thought he, we, so but these things kept happening, these little things, little things that didn't make sense, little stories that I didn't quite buy. He would not show up when he said he was going to. And the final straw was that we were on walking home. We got back to my apartment and he hours later went to take a cab and he said, could I borrow some money for a cab? And I said, well, sure, there's 50 and a five in my wallet. Take the five. Take the five. Case in, I just want to point this out. It was 1986. My parents were out of town. I was not supposed to be home. I had a $50 bill in my wallet because that was my money for the entire week because it was 1986. So they don't tell me a little bit about no cell phones, obviously, whatever. And so as soon as he left my apartment, it was late, 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 late at night. I turned on the light because something, something in my conscience just said, look in your wallet. And I looked in my wallet and it was empty. And it, it was the final moment of like, I cannot deny that this guy just took all my money. This guy just took all my money. And I called him. He was already home. I said, you think you took the 50 and the five by accident? And he said, no, I didn't take anything out of your wallet. And I said, well, you did because I just had it and I don't anymore. And how did you get home so quickly then? And he didn't answer. And so that's why the next night I met with him at the bar that we all hung out at, which is still there, Dorian's Red Hand on 84th and 2nd. And I was all prepared to have, have a big showdown with him and tell him I, I was prepared to have a fight with him, not to break up with him. I was never going to break up with him. And so I did, and there was a little funny story about how I was carrying a paper bag full of 
prophylactics for my Catholic friend who didn't want her parents to know she was had a boyfriend and was having sex. So I had, ha, she asked me to carry it so her parents wouldn't find it. And so I happened to have that in my bag and I threw it in his face and I left. And he left a few hours later with Jennifer Levin and murdered her. So wow. the next day, I didn't know. I was waiting for him at my apartment, filled with regret that I'd sort of broken up with him by accident. And he never showed. And I thought, oh my God, I've ruined it. And then of course he was already in jail. I mean, he was already in the police station. So wow. yeah, it took a chunk out of my life. I got subpoenaed. I I was being kind of harassed by the attorneys. I was, you know, I was 16, 17 sure, years old. Sure. I went all the way through college. I applied to, thank God I applied early to one school and got in because I wouldn't have, I don't think I could have yeah. worn that, but it was, it took a lot of, took a lot out of me. But the lesson in all that is trust your instincts and yeah. it's how I raised my daughters and it's how I've talk to clients and it's just how you have to live, especially I think as a woman, trust that voice that says something's not right because I truly believe that voice could have saved my life. And um I don't know. It's a it was a it was it's weird that it happened, but um I think I learned a lot from it. And I think my my two daughters benefited somehow from it because they're in great shape. They didn't they haven't made a lot of really stupid decisions, knock on wood. So um which is a credit to you. Yeah, I I credit it to that situation and to knowing yeah, pass it on. So, with his recent release, which you mentioned, was that significant news to you, or is that chapter a hundred percent closed for you? No, it's never going to be a hundred percent closed. Uh, Freak me out. If I'm being honest, I, yeah. I had just been approached by two people, and I'm who want to write the story, and so, and I've always written it in pieces, but I just, it's, too, I don't, I just think I'm too in it to write it myself. And so, we had just kind of connected, and and I had a, a Zoom call, and a couple days later. I, my daughter called me, my younger daughter, the one at NYU. And she said, Hey, I just got a weird call from the New York post. I didn't answer, but they left me a voicemail. Then my other daughter called me and she said, Hey, I just got a weird call from the New York post. And I thought, why? Oh my God. Why are they calling? First of all, how do you find my kids' numbers and not mine? <laughs> it's, no. Anyway, but so they, the New York post found out that that's how I found out. I looked, I looked online and I saw that he was out and I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I, he got out early. And so do I, Am I concerned? No. But even talking about it, like what if he's listening? It, it weirds me out a little, but I don't think sure. he has, he may not even have a clue who I am anymore. I, I heard he got married. I just enjoy. Yeah. I, but I, I I'm glad I live where I live. Love it. Alex, we're going to bring on producer Dave, who is one of the other stars of the Shine On podcast for a fun segment that we do called They Said It. 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 Yes, in this segment, we give our guests three quotes from famous people and just see how they react, pro or con. We have a a special Alex Cap version of They Said It. And here's quote number one. It comes to us from Star Trek, not the one to which... Alex so uh, skillfully supplies her voice acting skills, but nevertheless, Star Trek is Star Trek. The quote goes like this from Mr. Spock. After a time, you might find that having having is not so pleasing, after all, as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. Now, I murdered that a little bit, so let me say it again. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing, after all, as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. Can you unwind that Spock logic at all, Alex, and tell us whether you think it has any wisdom in it? It is totally has it totally has wisdom in it. Mm-hmm. And I know that episode backwards and forwards. Really? 
Yeah, of course. Like that's how I, that's why this Star Trek job is so great. I watch Star Trek every night in high school, every night at midnight on WPIX. So yes, in that episode, Spock has been brought back because he's this, it's his sexual awakening. Like he has to go do his mating ritual with whatever her name is. And it turns out she wants somebody else. And then he, he's in this fever. And as soon as she picks somebody else, he's like, yeah, she's not worth it anyway. So yes, it's the grass is always greener theory. Sometimes you think what you want is really, really important. And then you get it and you go, wait, that wasn't what I wanted at all. And very true in divorce settlements, I will add. I I was thinking that there's probably some parallel to relationships for sure. Was that the episode where Spock actually fought Kirk and thought he had killed him? And Yes. Remember, and, and, uh, he's, hot and he's got like, and they give Kirk that weird shot where he, so he look, makes him look like he's dead and he thought he killed right. him. And then Bones brings him back. It's Jim, remember? And he's like, yes. They're like, oh, my God, did you act human? And then, yeah, that whole bit. The book. Yep. Bones could do anything, couldn't he? I love quote, Star Trek. Yes, I really quote, do. <laughs> quote number two comes to us from your former co-star and American treasure, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, who said as follows, if you feel rooted in your home and family, if you're active in your community, there's nothing more empowering. The best way to make a difference in the world is to start by making a difference in your own life. Thoughts on that one, Alex? Agree 100%. And I couldn't possibly disagree because I would, what if she found out that I disagreed? And then I was scared. <laughs> yeah, of course. Listen, the the most, the greatest thing I've ever done, and I the thing I'm most proud of is, is the, the, the kind of mother I've been to my kids. And I don't know, I don't know a lot of people who say that. It sounds really conceited, but I feel like I've messed up a lot of things in my life. And that's the one place in my life where I really feel like I did a, I did a bang up job. And it's because I've made mistakes and owned them. And it's because I, have been honest and all those things. So, and it's funny coming from Julia, she's an incredible mother and been married forever. She's an incredible, she does a lot for other people, but she's got very tight, wonderful friends and is very loyal. And so this ring I'm wearing and this necklace both came from Julia. It's so funny. I haven't had them on really? for years. Yep. And yeah, you got to start at home. If you're, if you're disconnected at home, if you're disconnected from the, your partner, if you're, if you don't have a partner and you just disconnected from your kids, well, that's on you. Like that, that, yeah, that fans out everywhere. So, hundred percent. I think, I think Evan would agree with you because he's been Mister. He's he's been super dad as of late because he just welcomed his second child oh, to his family. That's true. How about that? Little, thank you very much. A little over two weeks old. So, second oh my gosh, family. you just had a new baby. Yeah. Right. So you're tired. 25th. I'm real tired. You're tired. You're <laughs> doing great. I'm in the office and no, thank you. And absolutely incredible. Everybody's healthy and doing well. So that's magic. It is magic. That stuff. Before we get to our third quarter, I just have to say Julia, what Julia Louis Dreyfus did on Veep is, is just a piece of art. Amazing. It's just it's such an amazing show. I feel like not enough people talk about that show. I take it you were a fan, Alex. Oh my gosh. I mean, how, how not be? It's, it's, genius it's genius i just started watching it again with my partner that hasn't watched any of it i mean it's just as good the the second go around she's just watched it twice too yeah but everybody on it is brilliant everyone and obviously the writing is where it all starts and that's brilliant and it's just the chemistry and the and we look at i look at the world around now and think like that seems normal compared to what's happening in reality so It was prescient in in showing how absurd politics can become. And sadly, life imitated 
art, and they were able to concurrently create their own version of, well, let's not get into politics, Evan, I guess, but let's, yes. we should, hey, maybe you know, we, we should do it all, we do it all here. So yeah, I know. Um, but so let's get to the, the third quote, which will be the most perplexing of them all. And it goes as follows. <laughs> I refuse to give up on this relationship. It's like launching missile missiles from a submarine. Both of us have to turn our keys. The words of Mara, played by Alex Cap, of course, on mm. Seinfeld, opposite George Costanza. Now, this was a farcical as plotline as many were, but when you look back on that quote, Alex, what is it? What do you think? I disagree. <laughs> Correct. I I respectfully disagree. <laughs> Yes, both of us both do not have to turn their keys or launch missiles in the summer. You know what I mean? Like, I mm -hmm. think the person can fully just decide I'm out. And so leaving the other person to catch up and figure out what they're going to do. So unfortunately, I don't agree with that. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it was of course, it was played for a laugh, but it actually I went back and watched the episode knowing that I was going to be on this call with you today. And I started overthinking it and thinking maybe Mara was really one of the more noble characters. She really wanted to work so much. <laughs> you know what's funny is like, I don't think it was about George for her. I just think she was like not going to break up, but she just wasn't going to allow it. But he could have been anybody. I don't think it had right. anything to do with George. I'd like you to know if you just watched that episode. Well, now it sounds like I'm scratchy, but my voice sounded so different back then because I smoked cigarettes at the time. And I oh, swear, wow. imagine if I'd kept going, I'd be Brenda Vicar. <laughs> So I'm very grateful that that period of my life is over in terms of that. But, you know. When I, I have a, a cousin, Mikey, who's a Seinfeld freak, and so I excitedly texted him telling him who I was going to be on a call with today. He immediately texted back one line and said, ooh, Mr. Banana, you have a brown spot on it, which is That's one, of, one of your other just great, great It's actually Apple. Isn't that funny? Ooh, Mr. Apple. Is it, was it Mr. Apple? Yeah, it's you, Mr. Apple. You have a brown spot, which is oh, so wow. weird. Okay. So weird, you guys. I mean, I always forget about that because that's like, that's the most <laughs> memorable line. But yeah. and that, was, that was when he, well, it, it just sort of twisted the knife in George to realize that he was still in this relationship. Yeah, with both of them. Yep. That's right. That's That concludes, they said it. Evan, I'll turn it back to you to say farewell to Alex, but well done. You've successfully... Past the audition. Thank you. Those were um, excellent quotes, by the way. I really appreciate all of them. And I like the fact that I was in one of them. From Seinfeld, back to the Shine Up Narcissism. Yeah. From Seinfeld, back to the Shine Up Podcast. Dave, that was brilliant. Absolutely tremendous. And speaking of brilliant, Alex, this spot on the featured Shine Up Podcast interview spot, this was tremendous. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. For anyone listening who's thinking about a divorce in the middle of a divorce, how can someone find your contact information, reach out, get in touch with you to really right the ship for them really during such an incredibly difficult time? Yeah, I just, I have a, I have a website, Golden Rule Divorce Management. You can just Google me, Alex Cap with a K, and you can make an appointment right on my website and it's free and, and I hope people do. I, I really do feel like if we can all keep doing it together and, and I think we can change divorce a little bit. I don't think it has to be as terrible as it, as it has been historically. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. If, if you want some help. Absolutely love that. Alex, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. This was, this was tremendous. Hey, thank you guys. That was really fun.
Episode 67 of the Shine Up Podcast. It's in the books. The interview with divorce manager Alex Kapp was absolutely tremendous. She was brilliant. Had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. If you were thinking about divorce, stop. Stop what you're doing and reach out to Alex Kapp. She can absolutely help you navigate the divorce process. And producer Dave, where else can you talk about divorce, Seinfeld, TV, get some laughs, other than the Shine Up Podcast? I love it. It's, it's a great day when you get to talk to George Costanza's girlfriend and hear the real story. <laughs> really, really great. And what yeah, a, what a yeah, tremendous, fantastic. What an impressive woman with such an interesting life. Great one, Evan. Uh, and all the listeners, you can catch this episode and all the episodes of the Shine Up Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and the one and only Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon.